Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I am joined by Hazel Cornhill. Hazel is a mental health campaigner, podcaster and blogger who is working to increase awareness and bust stigmas around mental health. Hazel co-hosts the Reality Tourist podcast, aka The Psychosis Podcast, where Hazel speaks with others and discusses their experience of psychosis. Hazel joins us today to discuss their experience of eating disorders, psychosis, neurodiversity and self-harm, as well as accessing treatment with comorbidities. Hello Hazel! Hi, a lot of long words there. <laughs> I know, I, might, I, I did make quite a few mistakes there because I think I, there was just so much to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I can fully relate. My words sometimes go really weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it's as well because I'm like, I mean, I'm sure people know this. It's, I'm sure it's not a surprise that I am reading from a script for that short introduction. I always try and make it sound natural, but it's so difficult to. Um, so I think because it's just from a script, you make so many more men. Um, oh God, even talking, I can't seem to do. Um, there we go. It's the excitement. But yeah, I'm really excited to speak to you, especially um, like we were just saying before we started, the fact that you have a podcast as well. Um, well, so yeah, you. it must be... Yeah, I I have had a listen. I did very much enjoy, very much enjoyed hearing about your story and everything. So I thought, yeah, I've got very good hopes for your podcast in the future. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's very new at the moment, so um, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, well, I so am I. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's always something to be learned about a podcast. Like, for example, today you can't use the media that I use on Firefox so there you go yeah, yeah um mild panic <laughs> <laughs> anyway um yeah so really excited to speak to you today um I think we've got a great topic to chat about um I wanted to start by talking about your experience of bulimia um I know this is something that you mentioned before that you're still living with so I guess do you want to kind of start with, you know, how that comes up for you, how that impacts you in your day-to-day life? Well, um, it's been a while. I've had it for a long time. <laughs> I was first diagnosed when I was 19 and I'm now 35. Um, but if I'm honest, I think the disordered eating started long before I got diagnosed. It just took mm. a while for me to notice it and even longer for the doctors to notice it. <laughs> it's one mm. of the problems when you do, your, your BMI is not really low. They just pretty much ignore you. I had doctors say ridiculous things to me about how, you know, I was too big to have an illness, how if I even had one telling me purging isn't that good for you, but you know, you need to lose weight, so nah. Oh. And it was like that was just I, I reported him, don't worry. Um <laughs> yes. But uh yeah, it affects all sorts of aspects of my life to be honest. Not so much now as it used to. Um but when I used to do certain purging methods that I don't do anymore, they caused all sorts of large large levels of pain almost all day every day having to know where toilets were all the time um energy levels were a bit of an issue for me quite a long time especially when trying mm. to keep jobs um yeah. a lot of jobs don't really aren't really suitable when 
every 10 minutes, you might have to run off to the toilets. <laughs> mm. Or when, you know, it gets to halfway through the day and suddenly you can't think properly anymore. So, yeah, that was a massive issue. And I've always got an issue with my electrolytes because, well, because I've damaged myself, mm. basically. So I'll have issues with sort of brain fog and... Um, muscle spasms and sort of muscle pains and because I've worked in quite a active because I was I used to work in construction which is not the best place mm -hmm. to be working when you've got physical effects of an eating disorder going on and even before that I was at university and yeah you know I, I was <laughs> because this may sound I was studying to be a doctor so I really should have known better shouldn't I <laughs> but um mm yeah in many ways my eating disorder destroyed my university experience because i was so obsessed with the numbers and so obsessed with the calorie maths and the exercise that i was skipping lectures and i was doing really badly in exams when i really shouldn't have been and in the end i had to drop out which you know has had a massive impact on my life because I, I should have been a doctor now but here i am sat unemployed <laughs> yeah wow it's um it's not funny in the slightest what you say it's about not, I laugh you know, inappropriately. Doing, That's the thing being I do. a doctor and um, but I I can relate to that so much. I literally used to work in eating disorders, and there I was, you know, saying all these things of oh, you know, this is how you get better, and this is what you do, and then I'm sat there thinking, well, I don't do any of that, and you know, um, yeah. so I think often the more you know, the worse it is. Yeah, um, yeah I think um, in terms of what you were saying of you know, the impact that that can have on your day-to-day -day life. I wanted to ask you, when you said about sort of having to, having to go to the toilet, you know, quite frequently, was that after engaging in the behaviours for a long time or was that because of like a, what's the word, like an urge to go like mentally, if that makes sense? Uh Basically, I abused laxatives for many years. I completely messed up my digestive system. Okay. But when you're doing that, it becomes... You don't get much of a warning when you need to go, put it that way. Mm. So it becomes a... You have to run to the toilet. You have to plan your day around knowing where the toilets are. I, I also abused diuretics, which is a similar thing, but obviously from the water mm. side of things. So it wasn't just what people would think of oh. traditional purging. Um, it was... Mm -hmm. My life was in the bathroom for a while. <laughs> And for people listening that maybe don't understand the urges behind the purging behaviours and stuff, so taking something like diuretics or laxatives, like you said, or, you know, self-induced vomiting, they're not, like, they're not experiences that are nice. Oh, no, so I guess not. what I'm asking is, would you mind sort of explaining why you felt like you wanted to do those behaviours because it's not something that kind of had a, a nice ending? Um, I think I'm a bit unusual in a way. I think my bulimia started as traditional bulimia in that I would mm -hmm. eat and then I'd have to compensate because of weight issues and wanting to be empty, essentially. But then over time, mm -hmm. it changed into a self-punishment thing. So I would eat so that I could purge because the purging was punishment. So it, it, it's very right. similar to my self-harm in many ways. I felt like I had to be punished and it was a way of punishing me. So... I think that most for a lot of bulimics, I think it is a case of it's just compensatory. For me, it was literally a case of punishment. I don't, I don't know, maybe others are similar. I've not spoken to that many. <laughs> so I, it might be different. But yeah, for me, it was literally, I knew I was damaging myself. And in a way, in a twisted way, that was sort of the aim. Yeah. 
And and I know that in the introduction we kind of mentioned self harm and was was the purging do you, I think you just said that it was a form of self harm. Were there other things forms of self harm or was that the main thing for you? Oh, I've um I've self harmed in so many ways. <laughs> um Okay. You know, things that you'd normally think of as self harm, like cutting and burning, I've done them and I've mild overdoses, mm-hmm. general risk taking, um I know this one a lot of people don't think of as self-harm, but sexual promiscuity. Pro- pro- <laughs> <laughs> the word disappeared from my brain. I, I used to have a lot of one-night stands in the form of self-harm because I, in the back of my mind, thought it's someone might hurt me, and that's what I wanted, if that makes sense. So okay. a lot of yeah. it, to be honest, does go into the psychosis. The reason behind my wanting to hurt myself mm. was linked to the psychosis. and is, I suppose, linked to the psychosis, okay. but less so now on medication. Sure. Yeah, I think that was something that I wanted to chat to you about because I listened to your podcast on um, the Reality Tourist podcast and um, the the part that you said about, um, you know, having a lot of one night stands as a form of self-harm um, and how that fed into your psychosis, um, I thought was quite an interesting kind of, you know, link and, and tie up. Um, so I guess on, on the topic of the psychosis, um what sort of how does that affect your if we've spoken about the bulimia and how that affects your day-to-day life how does the psychosis affect you your day-to-day um, life oh depends on how medicated i am at the time <laughs> now um i am lucky i never fully lose what you call insight so at my worst okay. it's like i'm holding two realities in my mind and i can't work out which one's real i never fully go into the other reality as it were but it will be i'll still act on the other reality because it might be real so i have um a fairly regular delusion that the universe is sentient and i have been placed here as basically a sponge and that the universe is in controlling my life and i and has put me here and that there's a finite amount of good and a finite amount of bad within the universe and it's my job to absorb as much of the bad as possible in order to save everyone else from the bad and now I'm saying this now when not in psychosis, and it sounds ridiculous, but when it hits, I fully believe that. And I'll know that to everyone else it doesn't sound right, and I'll know, but I'll feel like it's a secret that only I'm allowed to know. So I won't even tell anyone. So I'll find ways to damage myself because I believe that that's saving other people from being hurt. So an awful lot of the self-harm fell into that, and the bulimia, I think, started as proper bulimia. But the, one of the ways psychosis works is it will look at things around you and it will feed them into the delusion. So I think that it, it slowly, the psychosis slowly sort of crept into the eating disorder until it just became this amalgamated mess. <laughs> yeah. I thought you answered your question. That's now. really I interesting. What your question was. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think um, that is like a really good starting point in terms of kind of, um, I mean, that's why something I wanted to come on to was how do they interplay together? Um, and I think that's really interesting in terms of kind of the, what would you call it? Would you say that it's a thought or with the psychosis, what sort of would you call it? It's really that? hard to explain. So, um I have audible, audible hallucinations, so I'll hear people talking to me who aren't there. I do have some visual ones, but they're very rare, and it's more like things like I'll see spiders, or if I look at myself in the mirror, the image in the mirror will sort of go weird. <laughs> um, but the other ones, it's like 
I wouldn't say it's so much of a thought. It's more like a knowledge. It's you know this thing. Okay. It's it. It's very hard to explain. To be perfectly honest with you, mm. um, I don't, can't even explain it very well to psychiatrists. So. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, really... it's more than a thought. But I can't really explain how it is. No, I really appreciate that, and I think um, it's. I'm. I'm so honestly so honoured to have this conversation with you because I don't think there are enough conversations like this that are talking about it and you know allow people to explain it because of the stigmas. Um, but I did just think something really interesting. What you just said there, kind of two things that I wanted to pick up on. One was that when you look in the mirror and you see something different. Um, because I have body dysmorphia. So I guess my question, I, d I don't know whether you have experience of body dysmorphia, but do you think there's distinctions between kind of the hallucinations in psychosis and then the body just, and then body dysmorphia? To be honest, I'm not sure. I've not experienced body dysmorphia myself, so mm. I'm not sure. But um, I mean, there could be, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's all to do with mm. your, how you perceive reality and in people yeah. with body dysmorphia, they genuinely believe mm. what they're seeing is, or what they're feeling is their body so it would make some degree of sense but i, I don't know mm. yeah I, I think that was that's like a really interesting concept actually because because like you said you know it, it, you perceive it as reality um and it's only from you know working through therapy and me actually you know saying out loud um this is how my body feels and this is what I see and then talking that through and realizing that that's not the truth that I can now when I look in the mirror I can be like okay it, I'm having a bad day mentally which is why this is what I'm seeing um that's the only reason that I have awareness of it but also something that you said um and and, and obviously you have bulimia not anorexia but um a lot of people talk about like an anorexic voice um which I've I've seen I saw earlier some conversations happening on Twitter to say you know I've I've not had that personally and it does feel like my thoughts but um, I mean and I guess if you've not had an anorexic voice again it's like the body dysmorphia it's hard to say but do you feel like there could be some sort of link there as well between that voice that is observed in anorexia and then the kind of voices the audible hallucinations that you have. Um, well, once again, it's not something I've experienced, so I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose it depends if it's something that's inside your head or because my voices are very much external to my head. It, okay. it sounds like a person stood behind me. Right. But I suppose one interesting thing that sort of shows there maybe could be some sort of connection is eating disorders are surprisingly common in people who are neurodivergent, and so is psychosis. Mm. Psychosis is three wow. times more common in people with with autism than well, in autistic people than it is in neurotypicals, and it's 10 times more wow. common in people with ADHD. So may, maybe, maybe there's something to do with the way our brains are, pro wow. are programmed. Programmed um, Programmed is completely the wrong word. I studied neuroscience. I should know the words. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, did you say that psychosis is 10 times more common in people with ADHD or eating disorders? Uh, Psychosis is 10 times more common in ADHD and three times more common in um, people who are uh, in autistic people. I don't wow. know statistics for eating disorders, but I do know it is also surprisingly high. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, like you say, that would be something really interesting to look into. I feel like um, 
the research surrounding you know things like comorbidities and um neurodivergence and, and stuff like that i'm seeing a lot more of it but kind of it's still such an unknown area and it's more lived experience that i'm hearing about as opposed to concrete research yeah i think you're right i mean i i was studying new york university and i obviously dropped out but a lot of people mm. who i was at university with didn't and some of them are now researchers and I have been told that mm. it's really hard to get some of this put stuff past the ethics boards. And if it's hard to get past the ethics oh. boards, then, you know, obviously people don't want to research it, which is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I'm correct, um, do you have ADHD? I do, yeah. I'm um, autistic and ADHD. <laughs> I'm a nice mix. Okay. <laughs> and how does that play into the psychosis? Do you, is there anything that you see that interplays together there? Um, it probably doesn't help with the impulsivity because both conditions mm -hmm. have a bit of an impulse issue. But I suppose the main issue is that because I've got psychosis, I'm not allowed to go on ADHD medication. So I'm an unmedicated ADHD <laughs> because one of the potential side effects is psychosis. So if I went on it, wow. there's a high chance it would cause an episode. So that is, that is a big issue because I can never be on ADHD medication, which means that my life is complete chaos at all times. Mm. I need Ow. to stop laughing inappropriately. Sorry, apparently it's an autism thing. <laughs> no, that's fine. Don't worry. Um, that is absolutely fine. That's... So is it like whatever chemicals are in the ADHD medication trigger I think it's the something to do with stimulants. I'm not 100% certain if I'm right. Honest. I think it's something to do with being stimulant, though. Okay. Wow. Gosh, and that that makes obviously treating everything so much more complex. If oh yeah, my psychiatrists love me when they try to do medication. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and then also that I found that interesting what you said about impulsivity because we often hear about bulimia itself being quite impulsive. Um, so I can imagine kind of the ADHD and the psychosis. Did th does that kind of have a play into that impulsivity in the bulimia as well i have heard i heard something about um i read a book recently i can't remember what the book was about eating disorders and it was talking about the sort of like personality traits of people with different disorders and how mm. anorexic people are quite often perfectionists whereas bulimic people are quite often really impulsive <laughs> and it's like well that explains why i'm bulimic <laughs> mm. but yeah it probably does um because i will do things without fully thinking them through and then I'll have to try to sort of fix them retroactively. And I think that's essentially how the comp compensationary behaviours sort of started. And then it just became a mess after that. But I think if I think way back to being a teenager, there's probably, yeah, the impulsivity probably didn't help. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And when you think back to being a teenager, you said um, that your bulimia kind of started, I think you said normal, like a normal bulimia whatever normal means um were you experienced in psychosis at the time like which one came first oh that's a very good question <laughs> <laughs> no one noticed my psychosis until i was in my 20s mm -hmm. but thinking back i think i had it much earlier they thought i had disassociation they thought i had ptsd they thought the hallucinations were actually flashbacks and all sorts of things i think that it probably started when i was about 16 because i remember as a teenager believing I could see ghosts and believing that if I touched someone I knew how they'd die and thinking about that now that's probably wasn't real but no one noticed um 
the actual eating issues, I'm not sure when they start. I don't think I've ever eaten like a normal person. Um, I think I've always had disordered eating of some description. But I was 19 when I finally went to a doctor about it. So maybe that started around the same time as well. I'm honestly not sure, to be honest. Mm. Um, the chronology of my teenage years is a little bit messed up for some reason. Some sort of weird memory thing going on. Yeah. I feel like when there's a lot of kind of mental health issues, um, I have like from the age of like 14 to 18, I can't really remember anything. Um, and it may be, you know, like you were saying earlier, but energy levels and stuff, I, I think potentially, I mean, in my case, I think it might have been that my energy levels were so low that my brain was, fo my body was focused on everything else rather than kind of storing memories. Um, and, and when you were 19, you said that you got um, the diagnosis for the bulimia. Did you get any form of treatment or anything? No. Um, I got some treatment in a hospital when I quite publicly passed out at university and fell down a flight of stairs. Um, wow. So I woke up in hospital after that and it turned out I had like really bad electrolyte issues going on and I got kept in for a couple of days. But then I just basically got, you know, bye, see ya. <laughs> so, um, and it was maybe about six months later that I got some actual proper eating disorder support. But if I'm honest, that didn't go so well because they essentially gave me all this eating healthy eating advice and I got obsessed with it. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if this was linked to the psychosis or linked, linked to being autistic, but I took the rules to the letter and I got more and more obsessed with it, cutting more and more food out of my diet because I started believing it was that bad and then I started believing it was contaminating me. That probably is psychosis actually now I've said it out loud. Um, and essentially I result I ended up being what would possibly be classed as orthorexic. In fact my mm -hmm. doctor said that if it was a real if it was like a um, official condition I would have been diagnosed with it because I just cut so much stuff out of my out of my diet. So yeah, so in when they tried to treat me for, for bulimia I just developed a different eating disorder, which apparently is quite common. Um yeah. and then after that I've tried getting treatment loads of times but I'm not sure if it's because I've got other things going on or just because bulimia is really hard to get treatment for anyway that I really struggle to get any sort of help. Uh, so most of the improvement I've done, I've essentially had to do myself, which mm. isn't ideal. No, it's really not, is it? Um, and, and treating the comorbidities was kind of something that I wanted to chat to you about today um, because I don't think you're alone in I mean I have not done a single podcast I don't think with somebody that has experienced needs to do that hasn't got another mental health condition um, or you know that is neurodivergent so I wanted to kind of speak to you about treatment and, and access to that and in your case um, with the psychosis and the ADHD and the bulimia, what do you think would have been beneficial for you in terms of in terms of accessing treatment and the support? Um, well, for a start, I think if someone had picked up on the psychosis earlier, that would have been a good thing because I ended up getting treatment for PTSD and stuff that I don't have, mm. so that wasn't exactly beneficial. And then when I was twenty five, they recognised that I had hallucinations but did nothing. It's all my medical records. It says auditory hallucinations, but literally nothing happened from it. So that would have probably been kind of useful. Um, I, it's, it's possibly in part my own fault. I sometimes wonder if the autistic masking has spread to other things. So I've just mm -hmm. learned to look normal. So mm -hmm. I will 
I don't want to say lie, but maybe not always tell the full truth to the mental health and general health practitioners because I'm essentially masking. And because I don't always look like I'm in distress, even when I am in distress, I think they don't. They often don't take me seriously. So I do think that being neurodivergent has made that a lot harder. But then so is the psychosis, to be honest, because there'll be things that I won't tell them because I'll believe that I can't tell them or I'll be scared of their reaction because even though I'll believe the thing, I'll know somehow that they won't believe the thing or I'll be scared that they think I'm faking. So in part, it might be a little bit my own fault. But on the other hand, if the system was different, I might have felt more psychologically safe to actually you know, be honest. So I'm not sure. But yeah, if they'd picked something up earlier, I think that maybe things wouldn't have got as bad as they did mm. which would be nice but to be honest I'm not really sure I mean, they, they need more um, training in neurodivergency mm. that's the wrong word in autism and ADHD in general because sometimes they just really just massively misinterpret me and the general mental health the, the eating disorder services definitely do not seem to know anything about psychosis mm. and the general community mental health team seem to be a bit of a look at the draw of what you know, professional you tend to happen to get because they just, I don't know, I think they may be, I don't want to say this in, I don't want to say that it, this in a sort of like competitive way because it's not, but I think that they're sort of quite tailored towards depression and anxiety and sometimes they forget about the other conditions mm -hmm. which, you know, aren't worse but they're different and they're treating mm -hmm. in a different way and I think sometimes that they just sort of forget about us. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I want to say that I don't think that any part of the the access or the difficulties in accessing treatment is is on you because at the end of the day like you're going for support with something that you're struggling with so therefore the services should be set up to be able to help you um but i think you know if i'm in being completely honest i think that you're so right in terms of they are more set up for depression and anxiety and i think in part that's partly because of stigma um and, and partly it's because of, I don't think fear is the right word, but I've heard quite a lot recently, um, you know, in terms of, especially in eating disorders, that a lot of clinicians don't necessarily want to work with people with eating disorders because it's a, it's a difficult condition to work with because the, the person that you are working with is not necessarily on side with you. Um, and, you know, you don't necessarily get that thank you so much after you've supported them through a meal or something like that. The, the gratitude tends to be long-term and might not be even something that you witness. And and maybe that is, I don't know, because I haven't had the conversations with people, but maybe that's a similar thing with psychosis is that sort of because there isn't, because it's not kind of known about so much or there's a lot of stigmas in society, it might be that, you know, fear of supporting somebody or, you know, not wanting to say the, wrong thing or something like that um it's kind of what springs to my mind i feel like we hear so much more about depression and anxiety in society that it's almost i don't want to say normalized but i feel like it almost is whereas eating disorders and psychosis i feel like are spoken less about so we know less about them i think also it can be almost easier to understand what depression or anxiety is because everyone mm. at some point feels fear and everyone Definitely. at some point feels sad and I know that's massively simplifying what depression and anxiety mm. are they're not that simple but people mm. feel like they can understand that whereas they can't understand not eating or purging or 
literally losing touch with reality. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, part of it is a lack of understanding and it probably is a bit of fear. And also, yeah, to be to be, to be fair, people, people with eating disorders and people with psychosis can be very combative. Um, mm. When I'm really ill, I am not a nice person to be working with. I've bitten doctors before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're very right there. Um, and it is easier to support someone when you can sort of relate to them, um, you know, with the stress. And, 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 that, and that's why I wanted at the start to kind of ask you, you know, why do you engage in purging behaviours? And I know that sounds like a really like, oh, it must be so obvious why you do it. But and I think sometimes we don't even have the answer. Um, but for pe for people that have never experienced it before, I, I want kind of, you know, I wanted to be able to get underneath that um, so that it, it kind of not makes more sense because a lot of the time I, I know myself when, you know, I'd be sat in front of a meal like, why can I not just eat this? It makes no sense. And I think that's probably the crux of it, isn't it? None of it really makes sense. Um, but, you know, I think if by having these conversations and kind of helping people to understand it a bit more, I really hope that that will kind of improve treatment services even just a little bit. Well, at the very least, it might, it might sort of improve the society's uh, view mm. of us because sometimes people are very I know quite often they want to help and it's not coming from a nasty place but some things that people say to you it's just it's not it's not it's not right it's not good it's not helpful right. but yeah as, as long as people are trying to help um I wanted to I found a paper um by who's it by Mary Seaman from 2014, um, which is actually quite a long time ago. That's so quite I'm a long time quite ago. shocked, actually, um, because like we said before we started this, didn't think there was much research into eating disorders and psychosis, which also shocks me because I personally um, could see quite a lot of, you know, correlations and stuff. So what I wanted to do, basically, this paper is uh, Mary came up with seven hypotheses um, and she has the kind of her analysis of the hypothesis, but I wanted to ask you what you think about her statements. Um, so the first hypothesis is eating disorders and psychosis are entirely separate disorders that can, by chance, occur in the same person. Well, it makes sense. I mean, any two conditions could, in theory, exist in the same person. And I think mine probably were separate to start with, and then they're just amalgamated. Mm. So, makes possible, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. In what way do you think that they kind of came together? Are there, like, specific things for you um, that you recognise? One of the things psychosis seems to do is it takes things from your real life and then just sort of builds them into its own sort of narrative. So I think that I was more traditionally bulimic, as it were, to start with. And then my psychosis went, oh, this is a thing. Let's, let's, let's make you do this more because it's damaging you. And let's try telling you that the food is contaminated and that you need to get rid of it. And mm. I, so I think that they sort of melded after, after, in a, after, after time. But I think originally they were separate, maybe. So when you say about like the food contamination and stuff, would that be that you'd have like audible hallucinations about food? That... Yeah, yeah. So um, my main hallucination is called Nigel and he 
he normally just narrates my life, but he will also cast judgment on things. So he'd like tell me that things are poisonous. He, he's doing it with medication at the moment. He's telling me it's, med- it's poisonous. I'm ignoring him, but mm. it's very annoying. But many years ago, when I still wasn't sure if he was real or not, I thought he was trying to help me. So I thought, well, maybe it is poisonous, but I've got to eat it because people are watching me. So now I'll get rid of it because then the poison will be gone. Mm-hmm. And I still have a little bit of that now. Like every time I eat, I have this feeling that I have to wash myself. Otherwise, I feel like I'm contaminated. I know it's illogical, but yeah, it's just it all just sort of builds in on it, it, layers upon layers build upon each other. Yeah, I can imagine that's really difficult to navigate, especially if it feels like like somebody is genuinely telling you. Because I'm not trying to make a comparison, but I'm just kind of like talking through this as as I think. But like I was thinking when I saw earlier about people saying oh I don't know if I'd had had an anorexic voice or whether it was just my thoughts I always I personally didn't experience an anorexic voice it did did just feel like my thoughts so I always found that difficult to navigate because it was like it was coming from my brain so that felt real um and then I couldn't separate out the eating sort of thoughts to my thoughts so you know if I had an impulse to exercise I could never understand whether Hannah wanted to exercise or the eating disorder wanted to exercise but I can imagine that's like a whole other layer of something if it because I mean personally um I if somebody else tells me to do something I I trust that more because it's coming from somebody else rather than coming from me is that something you kind of experienced yourself um I suppose kind of because for a while I did sort of think he might be real and Mm. that I was essentially getting secret messages and he was the messenger from the sentient universe so I had no reason that he would be lying to me it sort of feel, mm-hmm. felt like he was trying to protect me in some sort of weird way. I don't know why I thought people were trying to poison me, <laughs> but mm. it all sort of just made sense. Um, I had these thoughts, people mm-hmm. were trying to poison me, he reinforced it with what he was saying, and it just all, at the time, made perfect sense. Now I look back on it, it mm. doesn't make sense, but at the time it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can relate to that. I think at the time, an eating disorder made sense. And yeah. now I look back and think, well, it didn't really make sense. Um, but I think when you're in that moment, it's easy to think that that's the answer. The next hypothesis is... So as a result, I think you touched on this, actually. As a result of starvation, electrolyte and metabol- metabolic imbalance psychotic symptoms can develop in patients with a primary eating disorder and that can be the opposite as well so patients with a psychotic illness can stop eating due to delusions related to the food so like you were saying just then about the food poisoning a lot of well malnutrition has some some wild effects on the brain Mm. so i wouldn't be surprised if that's something that could happen um it is 15 years, no, it's 13 years since I left university, so I can't remember all that much neuro. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes some degree of sense to me, because, mm-hmm. as I say, malnutrition and electrolyte issues and all this, it can have some amazing effects on the brain. I don't know what amazing is, sounds too positive. Some fascinating <laughs> effects on the brain. So I can see how that could be possible, but I'm. I, you need a neuroscientist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but I think, like you say, but then that, I think this is what's so kind of interesting, interesting sounds, as, kind, of bad, kind of bad as well. Um, <laughs> but um, 
about it is is that separation because like you said you know malnutrition can cause so many different things and we know that you know if somebody's experiencing um malnutrition that can lead to symptoms of depression and anxiety and then people start you know to fuel themselves again and and they weight restore and stuff like that if they're if they um have anorexia and then the depression and the anxiety kind of might reduce because they're not in that starved state anymore so that must get quite complex as well in terms of diagnosing people and not wanting to provide that diagnosis if they're maybe not in a in a nourished state because there could be a lot of things i guess that are purely down to the nutrition yeah i mean that makes i mean it's like how um you can have psychosis like mine class is non-organic psychosis which basically means it's just sort of happened but you can get Okay. organic psychosis which is things that's caused by stuff like substance abuse and things like that so it becomes mm. really complicated because all sorts of things can i mean just not sleeping enough can cause you to hallucinate so the brain is a fascinating and amazing but also kind of delicate organ mm. yeah i mean it does so much doesn't it yeah <laughs> it's affected by so much it does so much so and, and like you say it, it is it's fascinating but equally can have such detrimental effects on people if if things aren't quite right um okay next hypothesis i guess this ties into the impulsivity that you described about psychosis and adhd and stuff so a control of food intake provides a sense of mastery achievement and self-control to individuals whose sense of self-efficacy is low as is the case of individuals at risk for psychosis i have spoken to a few people with psychosis who did they didn't develop a full eating disorder but they definitely developed disordered eating and a lot of them have found that as their psychosis gets worse the disordered eating also gets worse and they think that it is like a mm. as my mind unravels i try to control the physical mm. personally i don't find that i don't think it's any sort of control thing at all but i know people who would definitely relate to that particular mm. hypothesis interesting that is really interesting and i suppose that it's almost you're using the eating disorder as sort of a compensatory behavior for the psychosis it's quite an interesting dynamic at play yeah, i guess the posi- way, yeah. i guess the positive with that is if you can reduce the psychosis hopefully the eating disorder symptoms will reduce yeah, but then you get into the complicated realms of the vast majority of antipsychotics cause weight gain. <laughs> mm. Which is a whole other area and a whole yeah. other issue. Mm-hmm. I think that's another hypothesis, actually. <laughs> uh, so we shall come back to that one in a second. Um, but I think the reason I found what you just said about kind of the self-control and the psychosis is really interesting is because I definitely observed in myself recently um I've had a few months of really quite severe depression um and only the other day did I sit down with my therapist and and she was like you know wanting to talk about things and I was like I don't want to talk about anything I just want to stay in this state of this depression and I realized that it was because when I'm depressed I just don't care about anything so the body dysmorphia well I looked in the mirror and I couldn't give a shit what I looked like because I don't care about any of that and then equally with food um you know I didn't really care what I was putting into my what I was eating so it 
in a way, the depression kind of provided a comfort blanket for the eating disorder and the body dysmorphia. Um, so it's it's so, it, you know, all with all these comorbidities floating around, it can be so complex and the interplay of them, I think, can be really challenging to navigate. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't have depression, but I do have times when I'll believe I have a mission and I don't. I don't know if all psychotic people get quite as hyper fixated as I do or if it's because I'm also autistic mm. but I will fixate on like a few years ago I thought that certain politicians were sending me messages through blinks and morse code on the tv and I spent like four days straight all I was doing was decoding I didn't oh. wash I didn't eat it so yeah um it can massively affect self-care I think when you've got something mm. else going on yeah yeah definitely and I think that's um, that's something that I've heard um, quite a lot of people that have ADHD talk about in terms of because of that hyper focus, their their eating patterns sometimes without even realising can be really affected. And actually, trying to manage the timings of eating and stuff is is something that they really struggle with. It's um it's something they actually ask about during the ADHD assessment. Mm. Apparently, it's that common. So either wow. have issues where you just forget to eat or interception issues where you don't, in, introception issues, I mean, where you can't feel the hunger cues properly or mm. issues where you'll just not stop eating. You just don't seem mm. to understand. You're just upset. You, you almost get fixated on just the eating. So, mm. yeah, apparently it's a massive issue with people with ADHD and they ask about it in the assessment. So. Oh, gosh, yeah, it must be common then if it's, it's something that's asked in the assessment. So, ah, number four, this is one that we hypothesised. Um, because of body image disor distortions, eating disorders are delusional. Makes sense. I mean, mm. it, it, genuinely, I can see how that one could, maybe not for everyone, but I can mm. see how that could be something that could be a thing. Sorry, my words just sort of flew away then. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and I think you raised a really good point there as well in that none of these things, which is what makes, I think, mental health in general so complex, is none of these things will align with everybody. Um, and, you know, some things... I, I feel like that it could be even as much as some people may have delusions about their body image and some people may not have delusions about their body image, um, but still see their body image in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that make, makes sense. It's also just made me think of something. I remember, I forgot that's happened. When I was about <laughs> 20, I was so convinced that I was bigger than I was, that I was convinced that my partner at the time was going through my clothing, cutting out the labels and putting new labels in to make me think how small I was. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> I forgot that even happened. So, yeah. yeah, I think that delusions could definitely be part of it. But then again, I've got psychosis, so I have delusions anyway. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's the kind of interplay of knowing what's what and even yeah. if you know maybe they're not even distinct maybe they are one thing that is all together um but because in the healthcare system we have clear boxes and clear categories it's like okay well if you've got those symptoms that's bulimia if you've got those symptoms that's psychosis when actually they could be one thing together that exists um but yeah, I mean, that's a whole other conversation itself. So. <laughs> 
Okay, hypothesis five. An eating disorder is an early sign of an impending psychosis or conversely, psychotic symptoms can herald the beginning of an eating disorder. Um, well, I don't know on that one because I can't remember the word. The pre-psychosis symptoms, pre primordial or something. I can't mm. remember. I'm not sure that they're really that closely but I suppose a lot of them a lot of people completely stop self-care during that period so I suppose mm -hmm. that could show early mm. signs of an eating disorder but for most people um, the early symptoms look suspiciously like ADHD <laughs> a lot of people get wow. misdiagnosed with ADHD and then they realize later that it's actually the beginnings of psychosis so because it's all the impulsivity and all that but I suppose mm -hmm. the lack of self-care could yeah. be something the early signs of an eating disorder though I'm not sure if they could look like psychosis. I suppose the early signs of an eating disorder are different for everyone, so that's mm. quite hard to judge. The secrecy, so maybe. I feel like that's a very vague... I mean, it's a hypothesis, so it's not meant to be specific. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure about that one either. I'd be interested to read what they um, concluded with that. Something that is just... We, um, when you spoke then... I can't remember why it kind of reminded me of it. But something I wanted to ask you about was the dissociation that you experience with your psychosis. Because I've heard a lot of people also have dissociation with an eating disorder. Um, I know basically what I was going to ask was, um, I think it's maybe more in binge eating disorder, what I'm about to explain, but I guess there's binge eating and bulimia, so it might kind of tie in tandem. But um, did you ever experience, like, dissociation and then binge whilst you were dissociated? Because I think that's something that's quite common in terms of kind of people dissociate and then end up having binging episodes and then kind of that brings them back out of the dissociation. Um. I'm not sure if this is because I have experienced dissociation, but my dissociation has more been like I've lost an entire day um, and oh, ended up okay. in a different city. It's, um, it's not wow. happened for a long time, but it was quite terrifying. Uh, I'm more just, I'm fully aware of what I'm doing, but it's almost like I'm not in control of it. So I suppose maybe mm. it's a sort of dissociation. It's almost like I'm, it's almost like I'm playing a video game in first person and I can see what's mm. happening, but the controls aren't working. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Maybe it is a form of dissociation. I don't know enough about disassociation, to be perfectly honest. I need to learn more about it, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know lo lots about it, but I've I've witnessed people disassociate before. Um, and it is almost, like you're explaining, that like lack of control, kind of still being present, knowing it's happening, but kind of no control over what's going on, and, and that's why then we do the grounding techniques and stuff to try and bring bring people back um out of the disassociation but from i mean i don't, I, don't I, I literally don't know but from the people that i've since uh, i have witnessed it's often been kind of involved with panic attacks um but i found that really interesting what you just said about like you kind of have a whole day and kind of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that before I mean, that they realised sounds... I had psychosis, they thought I had dissociative identity disorder <laughs> for a while. Um, I don't oh. think I do. Um, mm -hmm. I never got a proper assessment because there's only like six people in the country that can assess it, apparently. But oh, I, had wow. a, I had a psychologist who thought I had it about, okay. I don't know, 
14 or so years ago. It's not been mentioned much since. Um, I think it was just basically a misdiagnosis of the psychosis, to be honest. Mm. But yeah, I did used to lose entire days. I'd like be on my way to work, and the next thing I knew it was two days later when I was in a different city. Apparently, wow. I didn't want to go to work. Um, and what did you say that was called? Sorry, I don't think I've heard of it before. Uh, what you mentioned. Just disassociative identity disorder. Basically, it's the modern name for multiple personalities. Um, oh, I don't okay. think I've got it. I think I'd, I would hope I'd have realised by now. But I had a psychologist mm. who was convinced that I had it many years ago. Um, right. Before the psychosis ever got mentioned. Wow. So almost you go into like another persona or is it? Yeah, I got told that I had fragments, not alters, not fully formed alters, but fragments and that they would essentially take control. I don't know. <laughs> if I do have this, I'm not aware of them. I don't mm. seem to lose time anymore. Um, but okay. I went through a period of a few years where I would regularly lose a couple of hours mm. or a day. And it was quite terrifying, to be honest. Yeah. So, no idea what that was. <laughs> I'm hoping it was some weird presentation of psychosis, because at least I understand what psychosis is now. Mm. Yeah, I know when you were saying that, I was going to say that sounds quite scary to almost come out of that and be like, where has the time gone? Um, and have no idea, and I guess nobody can explain it to you either. So, I mean, it happens a little bit of ADHD. It's nine o'clock in the morning, mm. and then suddenly it's six o'clock at night. But it was yeah. very different. That to, at least I can sort of still remember it with ADHD. It's just sure. that I've got no concept of how time works in a linear fashion. But that was mm. literally, it was just gone. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. I, I haven't heard of that before. Um, so thank you for, for teaching me. Okay, hypothesis six is the one that we mentioned earlier. So antipsychotics used to treat psychosis lead to weight gain and thus induce eating disorders. Um, conversely, antidepressants used to treat eating disorders can trigger psychosis. So I guess that's similar to what you were saying about the ADHD medication as well. Yeah, I mean, that one makes sense. Um, it's not a guarantee that you'll gain weight, mm -hmm. but it does seem to happen to a lot of people and it's normally a significant amount of weight. So we're not talking a couple of pounds. Um, I'm not sure if it's because it essentially increases your appetite or if it changes your metabolism. Mm. I've heard both theories. Maybe it depends on the actual medication. I'm quite lucky that it hasn't really had a massive impact on me. But I know other people who have put on a lot of weight and it ends up being like a, do I want to live in this weight stigma fat phobic world as an overweight person or do I just want to lose touch of reality and it becomes a bit of a, a choice yeah. I suppose and to some people maybe compensating and trying to lose that weight in extreme ways is what they feel is their only option mm. yeah I can imagine especially if um you know if you're already having concerns relating to an eating disorder to then be provided with a medication that causes weight gain. And I guess, you know, initially it might not be something that's on the clinician's record, so they're not maybe going to be watching for it or um, aware of the signs. I think that's one thing you mentioned earlier, and I think you said something about, um, was that earlier? I can't remember. Maybe that was a different <laughs> conversation I was having. Somebody today said to me about clinicians in, you know, different kind of departments not being aware of other mental health conditions so you know if, if somebody is being treated for psychosis they might not know much about eating disorders um and and vice versa um yeah. so i guess that that's a i mean something. i am quite lucky that um i get 
I have to go to the community mental health team once every three months and get weighed and blood pressure and all that sort of stuff because of my medication. Mm. And they have made it quite clear if my weight starts going up, they will change my medication because they know it might trigger something else. So they are aware. um, But in my experience, they are... It it varies depending on where you live as to how on the ball they can be on this sort of thing. But I'm lucky my team seems to be, like, you know, on it. Yeah. Is that something you struggle with, having your weight measured? Um, not as much as I feel like I possibly should as someone with an eating disorder. I I don't like it. It does make me Mm. uncomfortable, and I do generally ask for a blind wear. But I think that mine's never been that much about weight so it's not as big a thing for me and also i'm fully aware that the bmi is complete nonsense so um (laughs) i'm able to rationalize it a lot better than Mm. maybe some people but if it's on a bad day then maybe it would trigger something but Mm. it's just easier just to not know because just in case but i don't think it would trigger me but yeah just in case Uh, i think you know blind weigh-ins I think are it's interesting I when I was in um treatment I used to ask for a blind weigh-in and they used to say no because they used to say that um coming to terms with the number on the scales was something that you needed to go through in therapy and I was always very unsure but at the time I thought it was just because it was really not something that I wanted to go through and I think I'm still I'm still now I sit on the fence with it because in one sense my brain is like it's just a number it doesn't matter blah 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 um but in in that same way I then say to myself okay well if it's just a number and it doesn't matter then you should be able to see it and you should be able to just kind of see it and move on with your day um so yeah I don't know where I sit with kind of the weigh-ins and blind weigh-ins yeah and in a way, I kind of disagree with doctors weighing us as much as they do. Mm. So in part, I do ask for blind wears and form of protest, if I'm perfectly honest. I understand the main, me for the medication side of things, that's acceptable. But sometimes you go to the doctors for something completely unrelated and they want to weigh you. And it's mm. like, yeah. why? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's... Um, I went a few years ago now. Um, I came off the pill and I was thinking about other forms of um contraception and he wanted to weigh me and i don't really understand why um like like you just said it almost felt a bit unnecessary anyway i said um if you look at my notes i've got history of an eating disorder please can you not tell me what my weight is and i stood on the stairs and he went mm, and then went Da-da-da, and said the weight and i was just like oh my god i literally <laughs> just said no don't do that and now like, you've literally just gone against what i've said um so yeah i think like you oh, know that, that's bad i had yeah. one once where i asked for a blind wear and they were be blind that was fine but then they got a tape measure out a wh- measure my wrist conference and then shouted the number across the room so the other person who was writing it down it was like oh. i can do maths okay you've just shouted that across in centimeters i can work that out in inches i know what i am now yeah yeah <laughs> it was fine for me but i'd hate it if they did that for someone else who could be you know affected by that yeah yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's such for for some people, if they've not got experience of eating disorder, knowing your weight is such a like passive blase thing. Um, whereas I know for me that that was pretty much you know close to a relapse from hearing that number and kind of 
the fact that somebody else knew it, even though obviously a blind way they do know it, but it was almost the because they said it out loud. I was like, you actually know that number now. Like that's not yeah, it makes I don't it like that. more real somehow when they say it out loud, mm. even though you know they know it anyway. Yeah, I see. I, I, I yeah. totally get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the final hypothesis, number seven, is psychotic symptoms are a marker of severity in eating disorders, whilst food refusal signals and a, whilst while food refusal signals a severe and dangerous stage of psychotic illness. I generally speaking hate anything that's got severity written in it. I don't like mm. this idea of ranking mental mm -hmm. illnesses and making us all essentially fight for who is the worst for the, for the small yeah. amount of treatment that's out there it bothers me that um i can sort of see the rationale i mean if someone's not eating that's that's serious um mm. if someone's malnutrition mal malnourished to the point where they're seeing or hearing things that's serious if someone genuinely believes their food is poisonous then that's also serious but this idea of ranking it just feels wrong somehow i don't know yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it it one makes people feel crap, yeah. um, which is not helpful. You know, at the end of the day, if somebody is struggling with something, it's all valid and everybody deserves support. Um, but I, I think if it, you know, if you do have the kind of severity ratings and stuff, I think it puts a lot of people off because people think, oh, well, there's definitely somebody worse than me. So I shouldn't get help because, yeah. you know, they've got a more severe mental health condition than me you um, fall into the not sick enough trap yeah yeah which i think is so so incredibly damaging because we all know that you know it's i mean i i, I assume it's the same with psychosis but i know for eating disorders the sooner that you can get treatment and support the you know has better outcomes um i think that's pretty much all mental illnesses to be honest i think that's mm. almost all the research shows the earlier the treatment is or intervention is given, the better the long term outcomes are, yeah. which is terrible when we're currently living in a situation where we quite often have worked away ages to get any yeah. treatment, which I'm not blaming the NHS for. I know it's a funding issue no. and a red tape issue and there's all sorts of issues, but it's not a good system. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've heard stories recently of people waiting years and I think it's just it. I don't know it makes me kind of have a horrible feeling in my gut because i'm just like you know if i'm hearing about one two people with this experience then there must be so many more um yeah. really deserving of help so i yeah. do really fear that a tidal wave is coming in the next few years mm. yeah that's a really negative thought isn't it <laughs> For the, towards I... the end <laughs> Yes, yes, it will end all in negative. Um, no, I think, you know, the science, we've, you know, we've had the reports of eating disorders increasing by, like, in-person, inpatient admission, oh, oh my God, words, inpatient admissions uh, increasing by 84% over the last five years. Um, and I think in I think in men it was like a hundred and two percent or something, um, and children was ninety odd percent. Um, so and I I yeah, like you said, I dread to think what's going to happen over the next few years because I don't think things are getting better. No. Um, however, let's end on a positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, Hazel, for joining me. I've 
thoroughly loved this conversation. Um, the fact that you've been so open and honest about your experience is fantastic. And I really hope that it will help, even if it helps one person, um, just to kind of, you know, being able to relate to your experiences, I think will be invaluable. Um, we've spoken a bit about your podcast. If people want to hear more from you and your podcast, whereabouts can they find you? Uh, so we've just started a podcast and also some blogs, but I don't run the blogs, that's someone else, um, <laughs> um, called Reality Tourists. So you can find us on Twitter and the, there's a link to the to the website from the Twitter. Uh, I suppose also if you just like the sound of my voice for whatever reason, um, I'm also a regular guest on the York Ending Stigma podcast, uh, which is basically a group of us in York who all talk about our mental health and mental illnesses and... Basically, we just talk openly in order to remove the stigma because we believe mm -hmm. that we should be able to talk openly. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably the two main places you'd be able to hear me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I shall put the details of all of that in the show notes. I have one more question for you because I was very interested when I listened to your podcast. Why the name Reality Taurus? If I'm honest, I didn't come up with the name. I am not that creative. <laughs> I was going to call it the Psychosis Hour. <laughs> but nice. then um, Jessica, who is running the website and the blog side of things, whereas I'm doing the podcast and the technical side of things, uh, they came up with the name. Um, and basically the idea is that as people with psychosis, we are almost tourists within different realities. So um, we, can, we live in this reality, but we almost travel to other realities or sometimes have both realities in our minds at the same time or even more than two realities sometimes. So it was just there. It was Jessica's really clever twist on the whole mm. idea. So it's like a little luggage tag as the icon and stuff. I am not creative in this. Jessica, <laughs> has a, Jessica has a past in content creation and social media. So that's, that's Jessica's domain. Yeah, no. <laughs> I really like that. I think that's very clever. Like you say, a good play on words. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, honestly, can't tell you how grateful I am um, and how much I've enjoyed chatting to you. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been great. It's um not some I don't often talk about the two things together, so it's been interesting for me as well to actually have to you know think about it. <laughs> if you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.